Welcome to Encounter. Today, we have a special guest, Keith Kendricks, who has studied apologetics his whole adult life. He shares some insights like the purpose of apologetics, the godly heart behind it, and specific fields such as epigenetics and plate tectonics. Join us as we encounter Christ, encounter culture, and encounter community. All right. Welcome to the Encounter Podcast. Once again, we are so excited for today's episode for a few reasons. One is we are finally sitting down with Keith Kendricks after trying to get him on for over a month. And we are blessed to have him here with us today. And before we get to talking with Keith, and I'll introduce him, uh, please Remember that it is greatly appreciated if you like, subscribe, rate, download, and favorite the podcast on any app that you use, whether it's Apple or Overcast or Podgo or Spotify. If you use this podcast on any of them, all of that feedback is greatly appreciated. So please do that if you haven't already. And if you have, thank you so much. If you have any stories of how these podcasts are directly affecting your life, it is um, really helpful if we can get those if you DM us on Instagram or find the email on our uh, podcast account. And we like to forward those messages to the guests that we have so they know what a blessing it was when they sacrificed their time to come on here and discuss this these issues that they would love to talk about. And today we are talking to Keith Kendricks. Keith has a lot of really unique qualifications, and you'll see why as we talk today, all of this information is going to flow out. Keith is the chapter director of Ratio Christi at Stockton and Rowan University. He is the member of the a member of the Evangelical Philosophical Association. He is um, serving in his local community and his church. He has a master's in Christian apologetics at Biola. We asked him on today because he has a specific expertise in Christian apologetics. And if you've heard any of our podcasts, a lot of our conversations kind of get sidetracked in Christian apologetics. And he has a wealth of knowledge, especially in certain areas of apologetics, such as genetics and plate tectonics and really, really cool, strong arguments for the faith that we are weak in. So we'd love to hear him talk today. And so Keith, if you want to start off today by just telling us a little bit about yourself, that would be great. Well, I'm 61 years old. I have three kids. I'm married. Um, So I have a grandchild. Awesome. Yeah. So for, in terms of I mean, we just talked a little bit about your what ministries you're involved in, but what currently right now, what's your what's your passion? Like, what are you involved in? Well, my passion is Christian worldview and apologetics. So that's how I got saved, um, and uh, I think maybe that's a similar story that people have. The way they got saved is they think, well, this is good for me, so it's got to be good for other people, and so that's what I think. I think you know, if I got saved this way because I was on the road to hell, mm. uh, that. Everybody can get saved this way, so that's my passion, and I've been studying it now. I got saved when I was 18, and I'm 61 now, and I've not stopped studying apologetics. I started right right from the get-go and got a master's degree in Christian apologetics and have been teaching on the side. You know, I have a full-time job, so... Uh, didn't make much money doing apologetics, so yeah, had to keep imagine. a had to keep a day job. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you're not the top four people, yes, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, and they yeah. don't make much money either. So really, yeah, I was just so. curious. Yeah, no, they okay. no, it's no, they don't make much well, money. Not, I know that you know him, so it, this isn't. But when I looked up on Frank's website, on Frank mm-hmm. Turk's website, just I was like, you know, by chance, if it's like two hundred bucks, maybe we'll try to <laughs> do like a video <laughs> thing. Yeah. It was like thirty grand yeah. to have him come here. I understand yeah. he has a team and all that stuff. That's I was right. just surprised by that number. 
Yeah, so that number is like a uh, retail and their wholesale prices. <laughs> so gotcha. you can get a price, a better price if you negotiate. Gotcha. But it's the same thing, you know. Um, but he's like the head. He's like up there. Big guys like um, William Lane Craig, like mm-hmm. um, a friend of mine wanted to have him speak out in, um, uh, well, a place. And uh, they couldn't get him to come. So they so they put him up in a, in a, a Four Seasons for a week. And then he agreed to come and speak there. Wow. <laughs> so it can be very expensive for the big guys, but yeah. But still, you know, they're I mean, look, they're spending that budget too. All that budget goes into production and Yeah, I'm sure know. there's a has purpose. Yeah, exactly. It's not like, you know, they're mm-hmm. driving Lamborghinis or something. Right. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you we were talking earlier before we started, and you were talking about how you know some of these guys, which is really cool because mm-hmm. we've been talking about well, Joe's been talking about these guys for about two years now and trying mm-hmm. to uh, get me, you know, into Jay Warner Wallace. And I mentioned him and you're like, yeah. Oh, I know him. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. So I, always, I, yeah. I always suggest things to Adam. And then about a year and a half later, he'll start to read it or watch uh-huh. it or whatever it is. <laughs> so, nice. I mean, you should watch the chosen. And he, like eight months later, they're in season yeah. two. And he's like, I just watched season one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, well, those, you, those books are like the two main apologetics right now. Whenever, whenever I am recommending, in fact, I actually did, Maybe three weeks ago, I was talking to somebody, and they were talking about they needed to get some um, apologetics for a friend that they're witnessing to, mm-hmm. and I named off three books. So they are but, Mere Christianity, yeah, C.S. Lewis. right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I don't have enough faith to be Frank an Turk. atheist, yeah. right? And then um, Cold Case Christianity. Cold Case Christianity. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. those those are like the main. I mean, there are. There are other ones like William Lane Craig's Reasonable Faith. That's fantastic, yeah. but you got to mm-hmm. be at a pretty high level. Yeah. So I usually mm-hmm. test people by giving them mere Christianity, mm-hmm. because that, even though Lewis was, you know, a professor at Oxford and yeah. very high level, very brilliant man, he could explain things very simply with mm-hmm. lots of illustrations that right. made it easy to understand. But I've had people say, I can't understand it. It's too complicated. Mm-hmm. So then I know not to give them Bill Craig's books, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, don't, mm-hmm. don't go that high because that's, that's mm-hmm. at a really high level without a, without a lot of right. you know, good illustrations. So yeah, nothing a... against Bill. Bill, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> You're great. So you call him Bill, so you must know him. Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry about no, that. No, it's good. But William, I don't know. I don't, haven't read anything about William Lane Craig. I've just seen him debate. So I've watched like oh, YouTube yeah. clips of oh, him debating goodness. other people, and he's Is so he poignant. the best? Yeah, so he's good. the best. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Double PhD. You know, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So I just, I, I'm going to just ask questions. I want to know yeah. just to start. You said that you came to uh, Christianity or came to salvation mm-hmm. through apologetics. Yep. What What was that like? How did that happen? Okay. So, so take us I, back. Uh, yeah. Well, I um, was pushed ahead. My mother was big on advancing us. So, um, my brother and I. So, I graduated from high school at 16 and wanted to just wanted to go to college to get out of the house, right? Because I didn't want any limitations. We were raised in the church, but not because my parents were born again Christians, but because in those days, right, that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, the 2001, 2002. <laughs> no, way before then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the dark ages. Okay. And um, pre internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Way pre-internet. And so I just wanted to get out of the house. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to party. I didn't want any rules and stuff. And, um, so I was crashing and burning, you know, 
um, the only course I was interested in was computer programming. So yeah, that was the only course I ever did any work for. And I got an A in that, but all my other courses, you know, was mm. like C's and D's, mm -hmm. you know, and um, just kind of lost. And I, re I remember, you know, as I was still, because I'd been raised in the Christian church, I knew that Christians were friendly people, mm. you know, I, I wanted friends. And so I, you know, the Campus Crusade was on, you know, day one, they were having free hamburgers, you know, mm -hmm. stuff. So I went and met them and stuff and, be, you know, went to their Bible studies. And so on Sundays, I was having these very spiritual highs, you know, that, that I was learning so much from the Bible and, and, uh, and then, but Fridays and Saturdays nights, I was getting more and more depraved and, mm. you know, more lows. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, I should decide. This is like a roller coaster. You know, I can't keep going up and down so much. I need to decide what the truth is. And it wasn't long after that that um, it was Saturday morning again, and I was, you know, sleeping until 10 or later, except that the guy who ran the, and I wish I could remember his name, the guy who ran the Bible study for Campus Crusade knocked on my door to come and get me. He knew that I wouldn't show up. I he had to come get me to come to the Bible study. So so he got me and you know and then he said, "Hey, I'm headed over to a uh, Christian bookstore after the Bible study. You want to go with me?" And I thought, a "Christian bookstore? Never heard of such a thing. What's that about?" Sure, that sounds good. I love books. Mm. That's okay. So I so I went with him, and uh, you know it's all it's very nice. You know. It's, like a regular bookstore, except, you know, there's different things, there's different segments, history and Bibles and theology. And then there was this word I didn't understand and it said apologetics. So he happened to be walking by and I said, you know, because I thought it was like a library, yeah, yeah, a yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was like a library. And uh, what, what's apologetics mean? And he goes, he goes, oh, well, that's just all the evidence that Christianity is true. And then he just walked away. <laughs> a ninja. I, I, what? What? The evidence? Did you say evidence that Christianity is true? So, well, what are you talking about? So I, I pulled out two books. One was Mere Christianity and the other was Many Infallible Proofs by Henry Morris. Mm. And which is another good book I recommend. And uh, so I went, took him home, back to the dorm, and I think I got through uh, chapter two of the moral argument for the existence of God, and I realized that I was going to hell. And but because I had been raised in the church, I knew the gospel. I knew what it was. I just never knew whether it was true or not. Mm. I had done altar calls. You know, when I was eight, mm -hmm. eight years old, probably another one when I was 12, you know, because someone in authority told me that I should do this. And so I did, right? In case it was true. Right. And I, you know, I would... Like a fire insurance. And that's right. Other mm -hmm. Christians would say, well, you're not really saved. That's just fire insurance Christian. Mm -hmm. And I would say back to them, well, so are you. That right? Yeah. You're not sure. You're just pretending. That's right. what faith means, to pretend. And I'm pretending to in case it's real. If it's real, then I go to heaven, mm. right? So I didn't think I was any different, you know, 
I mean, sure, maybe there are some spiritual people who somehow have some link to God, but you know, the pastor is just a bigger pretender than I am. Um, that's what I thought, because there's no evidence. This is the weird thing, you know. You pick these things up from your culture, right? And somehow I had picked up that there is no evidence whether God exists, and it didn't matter whether you asked a non-Christian or a Christian, is there any evidence that God exists? Even a Christian would say, well, no, there's not. You just have to believe it on faith. And, well, I wasn't about to believe anything by pretending, right? So um, so God answered my, need, my needs, and I realized I was going to burn in hell because I was a terrible sinner, and I got down on my knees and asked Christ to come into my heart Amen. and uh, promised to serve him forever. Mm. So... And so far, I've been. Eh, eh, you know, like, <laughs> You're here most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah. So, I, so I've been diligently. I mean, you know, again, you think, well, why didn't anybody tell me about this? Right. I, I felt cheated, like I'd been lied to, like the world had lied to me. There's no evidence that God exists. That's a lie. Mm -hmm. There is evidence that God exists, and so I just made it my business to find out, and I never stopped reading. From that, so yeah, you had a, a similar testimony when you yeah, shared it twenty something. Mm -hmm. You want to share that again? Because I don't know if you've shared that testimony on this podcast before. Yeah, I have. Not on the podcast. Okay, I haven't. I definitely have. But okay, All right, cool. Do it again. <laughs> well, just, no, say, just, just, very, just yeah. real quick, yeah, because I already did it once. So, but very similar, where it's I was raised Catholic, so you know, knew about Jesus, knew the gospel, but never heard it preached in any other way that was Catholic. Where it's just you know. The priest is singing it, kind of, you know. Um, so, and then uh, started dating a girl and came to Calvary Chapel, and I started hearing the gospel preached, you know, like with authority and like with like, you know, the true gospel. Yeah. And I was like, wow, why am I never hearing this? Yeah. But then I still battled the same thing. Was, you know, was, is everybody just pretending? Right. You know, is, is like, or how do we know this is real? Right. And then luckily, uh, her brother was very into apologetics, and it started. That you brought it up once already earlier, but uh, answers in Genesis with Ken Ham, and yep. I started, and then I just started like I was my, I felt the same way, like I felt like I was cheated, like yeah. why is nobody talking about this? Right, like we want to witness, we want to go throughout all the world, but we don't for whatever reason we don't want to go with the reasons. Right, we just want to go with like, come on, join me. Like, there's yeah, there's joy and you're going to hell otherwise. It's right. like well, anybody can say that, you know, exactly. So, right, so um, but I just never understood why we never come with all the evidence and reasons for those who don't believe. Right, um. It's so, a pretty similar story. So that's been my passion. And then I went and got a uh, master's degree at uh, Biola, in, uh, graduated in 07, and um, have been doing ministry. I had a radio show for five years uh, out of a Christian uh, radio station in Ocean City and started working with Rosho Christie. And so now I'm a chapter director. The radio station went away because they, well, they didn't go away. They just became a Spanish station. Mm -hmm. So okay. since my Spanish is un poco. Limited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. No entiendo mucho. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I began working with students, and so that's been, I don't know, has it been 10 years now maybe? or So you don't know how to say ontological and teleological in Spanish? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, boy, I'll have to learn Can't that Can't imagine one. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a small place to start. Nice. Yeah, so that's that's, and you also have a medical background, correct? Yeah, I so, okay. so my new conundrum after I got saved was, well, I have just wrecked my 
you know, I didn't care about college, right? So, mm -hmm. but you can't go two years in college with getting C's and D's and expect to go anywhere with that. Mm -hmm. So I was in the bioengineering program. And again, the only thing I cared about was computer programming. And so I thought, what am I going to do? And my mother had been a nurse. Also, I found out that my degree was not a four-year degree. This is a surprise if, you, if you're two years into your degree and you don't realize you've got actually three more years to oh, go. It's it a horrible surprise. It's like architecture. That was a bad surprise yeah. when I found, found that out. And I'm thinking, do I want to study bioengineering for three more years? Or I could transfer. My mother uh, was a nurse, and so she would always come home from work with stories about what happened in the hospital mm. and things. And so you know, I, I knew I would like that. I knew I would like to help people. And so I thought, you know, and in two years I can be working and have a job and do ministry and things like that. And so, so that's what I did. I went, I transferred, uh, went to a, a um, community college, got an AA degree, got my RN. And during that two years, because I had dedicated my life to the Lord, I didn't date, I didn't go out. I didn't, I knew that I needed to be discipled because again, you know, you kind of learn these things when you're growing up in the church. I just never wanted it, it for me. But then when I realized I needed to be discipled, but I was leaving, so I didn't have the guy who brought me to the Lord. I didn't have him to help me or anything. So I just got like 10 books on discipleship. And uh, that's all I did for those two years. I did my nursing studies in the daytime. And every evening I just studied uh, the Bible and uh, discipled myself. And, you know, some of those were assignments on, you know, I had a really good discipleship book that gave me assignments like read these six books in apologetics and read these six books on Christian counseling and mm -hmm. read these six books on uh, doctrine, you know, and th those are the things, those are the assignments that I did for myself. And then I started working with um, Youth for Christ and, you know, things like that. And I've just kind of always been, I worked as a nurse in the daytime and I always had a side ministry of working with young people, you know, high school or college students, because that was my target audience, because I didn't want anybody else to wind up like me that, you know, cause I was really in a bad, on a bad, you know, I was getting it, starting to get into drugs and, you know, I mean, and I, I had a vicious temper, I had a mm -hmm. vicious temper so that, you know, I would just, start punching people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I would be the one to start, right? Even though I was going to lose the fight, it didn't matter, <laughs> right? I would just start. So I would have wound up in jail. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I I, was in a bad way. So the Lord really saved me. Wow. Uh, yeah, Joe's still right where you, the old you is Joe right now. <laughs> <laughs> so fortunately, the Lord took that away. You yeah, know? Yeah, he, yeah. It's amazing. He takes some things, but then he leaves other things for you to struggle with. Mm -hmm. But that... That anger, and I, I, I kind of think that maybe it had to do with guilt, like because I was raised in the church and yet I was openly sinning, and so I think I was struggling with guilt, and that was mm. built up in me as anger, and and just I had a real, you know, you couldn't tell me anything, you couldn't do anything that would offend me, or or else, you know, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, and um, and that just went away. That. He just gave me such a calmness. Um, I feel like so. I'm back in therapy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. um, so I actually have two questions. Yeah. So I'm taking over. I'm going rogue. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you had mentioned, you know, when before you were safe, mm -hmm. that you thought 
everybody was just pretending. Yeah. Do you? That, that right. was my Which is a good way to describe of, it. Yeah. You yeah. know, they said they had faith. What is faith? Right. Faith is just pretending. I have two questions on that. One, do you think that's only possible because we live in a place where there is no persecution? Ooh, interesting. So, like, where there's heavy, heavy persecution, you don't, okay. you can't be fake. Right, I get that. It weans um, out. I would have had to have chosen, right? Because I was yeah, just, you're, you're I was it, right. just it a like Christian a, right. because in, I was in the crowd, right? Oh, exactly. Would, yeah. My parents mm-hmm. sent me to Christian summer camp. Right. Mm-hmm. That's why I was a Christian. Right. Um, well, if the church was being actively persecuted, probably my parents wouldn't have been Christians, and we wouldn't have been going to church. Mm-hmm. And if I was. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Like, yeah, I'm just saying, like, do you think that opens up the doors for fake Christians when there's no consequence of being it? And it's it, it, it's a culture, especially right. now that it, you know, we'll say like the mainstream Christianity, like bigger churches, like yeah. Hillsong well, I Elevation. Was, I was like, definitely a cultural Christian at right, the time, right? right? Mm-hmm. If you had asked me, like even before, um, if you had asked me, even while I was partying every Friday and Saturday night, mm-hmm. right, and looking for girls and you know yeah. the rest of it, um, and I had a lot of trouble finding them too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was I was not yeah. I was not Mister Macho, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, I was yeah. a really geeky kid, yeah, and yeah. you know, I mean, nobody wanted me. Uh, but anyway, um, so if you had asked me, "Are you a Christian?" I would have said yes. Mm-hmm. I would have said I was a Christian because. I went to summer camp and I went down the aisle. Right. So. And that's like right now in America, I think it's like 86% of people identify as Christian. Yeah. It's like, that's obviously not true. So, yeah. You know, like, well, and it's a, it's also scary on the other end because, you know, you've probably seen the statistics on how many young people are leaving the church. Yeah, right? the 80-18 rule. Right. Mm-hmm. So then if you ask them a series of questions like, do you believe X? Do you believe Y? Do you believe, you know what is the one thing that, the most that is the most common denominator of Christians that leave the church and they they say they're not Christians anymore. If you ask them, are you going to go to heaven? They will say yes. Something like 87% of them, mm. those young people who have left the church, they say yes, they will go to heaven. Mm. But are you a Christian? No, I'm not. Right? They don't believe they're Christians, they don't believe Christianity is true, but they think they're gonna go to heaven. So, yeah, it's almost like they they take the cultural aspect of Christianity to ease their conscience. They have yes. a, a peace about the afterlife, but exactly. don't really understand like the steps it takes to get there. Like we were talking well, about the golden rule, where it's like, you know, do do unto others as you would do to yourself, and then you'll get to heaven. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's that, that's the golden rule. Where you know, you just, yeah. the workspace where you know yeah. where it's yeah. like, as long as I'm not as bad as that guy, or that because I'm, when they were eight years old, they went they did an altar call. Right. right. Yep. And mm-hmm. and so that's they have the ticket. It's yep. in their back pocket, mm-hmm. and they're now allowed to live however they want to. And that's why that thing with John Nally on the boardwalk, there, right? Comfort kind of witnessing tool yes. yeah, is yeah. to ask, "Are you going to heaven? Yes or no?" And that's where you, you know you hold your sign up, and when they come and they say yes, you, you ask the next question, like, "How do you know?" Yeah. And then then you get to the bottom of what you're talking about, where yeah. it's like usually it's I'm a good person. It's almost always the answer. Right. It's never because Jesus covered my sins. Mm-hmm. Right. Is my savior. So it's interesting. You yeah. know. Is this and the one that it, where he uses the stick with the magnet on the end? I'm not sure. Have you seen that? Oh, it's Are you going to heaven? Yeah. It says yes or no. Mm-hmm. And then he gives them a stick 
that's got a magnet on the end. And of course, on the other side is a magnet that goes right to no. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah. point to the yes and it goes, Kunk. Yeah, it goes right over to no. <laughs> wait, wait. Wh- yeah, I thought I was going, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that. That's no. genius. But, it's, um, it's hilarious. That's the same thing like with the homeless out, you know, homeless ministries and all the outreaches we do, like in the streets where a lot of people would just say, we'll ask them like, oh, do you, do you know God? Do you know Jesus? And they'll be like, yeah, yeah. And that's their like, don't ask me another question. You know, I'll just, if I say, yeah, you won't ask me another question. But then we're like, oh, well, what do you know about him? You're like, oh, yeah, because now, well, then they don't really have an answer. It's like, okay, so you don't, you know. Yeah. It takes one question to get past the facade, though. Yeah, exactly. Right. Which is Um, interesting. But, okay, so my my second follow-up question to the pretending was, now that you're, now that you were saved through apologetics or that led you to salvation, do you think that people who have zero interest in apologetics or just don't know anything about it, do you, does that same label get put on them? As like, do you think they're still just pretending? Oh, so, well, of course, it's hard to tell, right? When people say, I have faith, right? And I mm-hmm. believe, like, what level of belief are you talking about, right? Yeah. Um, how confident are they, you know? And But I do know that there is a story about a young woman who lived in Soviet Russia and she had no access to the Bible or anything, um, but she began to believe that uh, the Soviets were lying to her. And she reasoned this way, that whatever they say is true must be false, and whatever they say is false must be the truth. And so she began to pay attention to what was their what were they mostly adamant against? And they were most adamant against Christianity and they were most adamant against the teachings of Jesus. And she realized that this must be the truth. And she literally became a Christian. With, with without, backwards logic. Mm. Right, with reverse logic, without yeah. any evidence, without ever being witnessed to. And then later when she was able to immigrate to the United States, she was, she claims that she had accepted Christ. Hmm. Right? Now, yeah. of course... That you know we can't leave out the Holy Spirit. But again, that goes back to my other point, where it's like it came out of persecution—not not necessarily persecution, but mm-hmm. like a, you know, yep, a, a yep. shutting down of a of a faith. Absolutely. So it's kind of like I don't know. They go hand in hand. Yeah. I think yeah. everybody's at a different level, right? We're all at a different confidence level. Mm-hmm. The nice thing is that you can be right. I mean, Scripture actually talks yeah. about mm-hmm. this. There's there's a verse. Uh, I wish I could remember the reference. I'm very bad at references, but there's a verse that talks about when you are fully convinced, fully convinced. So even scripture recognizes that there are levels of faith, levels of being convinced. And fortunately for us as Christians, um, we have a ton of evidence, Mm -hmm. right? Everything from God existing to the Bible being reliable to the resurrection, um, manuscript evidence. Yeah, I'm even I'm a, even a big young Earth person, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I I need to put my tinfoil hat on right now, but um, <laughs> but I've been on both sides of the argument. I've mm-hmm. been I've been an old Earth because that was the church that I was growing up in. Mm-hmm. We were old Earth Christians, and then I said one of the books was Henry Morris, who's a young Earth, and he had a bunch of evidence that the Earth was young. And then when I went to uh, Biola, that's an old earth mm-hmm. um, training. And so, you know, I worked with a PhD physicist who was a double PhD, one PhD in mm-hmm. ancient uh, Near Eastern studies and a PhD in 
physics and he taught us the big bang model and mm. you know the evidence for an old earth and universe and and stuff and i switched back i wanted to yeah. know what was the truth i didn't want to try to you know yeah. fight against it i wanted to accept it because one of the ways of learning the truth is actually getting into your opponent's argument mm -hmm. as if it is true mm -hmm. and to understand it to really understand it you know not just look for the weaknesses or right. you know um, try to deny that it can't be right it has to be wrong somehow and then um, and then I th said well I've got to go back and and look at the young earth again and so uh, went back to the genetics the evidence from genetics and the evidence from geology and mm -hmm. uh, rapid plate tectonics and all that stuff it's very very strong Mm -hmm. So I'm back and, to being young earth. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'll switch back again. You know, somebody comes up with something better. Yeah. I think so, that, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. your question. No, it wasn't a question. I just had a, so for me, because, because that, like, like we always talk about, like apologetics can be a life, like you've been doing yeah. it for how many, it's like a lifelong yeah. study. Yeah. And to me, it's like, this is going to sound bad, but you know, when you're serving constant, all these ministries in the church and you got a job and it's like, it's hard to put that much time and energy into it. Yeah. And to me, Frank Turek actually kind of like helped me with that because a lot of like the, the young versus old earth and, and you have both people, highly respectable people on both yep. ends arguing both sides. Right. And it's like, okay, how do I, how do I stay interested in it? Not to, you know, for lack of better terms, but Frank Turek really squashed that when, when somebody had asked him something and he, he finally got down to the bottom of it. He goes, okay, let me give you the benefit of the doubt and say, let's just say, for example, evolution is real or, or not even, let's just say, for example, the Bible isn't inerrant. Does that make the resurrection not true? Right. Based on you know, so it's like, and if the resurrection is true, then Christianity is true. And yeah. it's like, you know what? That's that's all my interest is kind of like in the resurrection and the apostles after Perfect. and their lives. And it's hard for me to just because I know it's like, uh, will well, we ever know one? Yeah. And yeah. to me, sometimes I'm like, is it worth? If the resurrection is true, is all that worth knowing? Sometimes it's good, definitely good to know because if that's what if that's something holding one person back and you were able to witness to them. You know. Well, I would say, and I think, sorry, I'm answering his question for no, you. No, <laughs> no, I say that I, I agree with you. I get frustrated, especially with the new and old earth, because I'll hear both sides. Both are compelling. I, yes, I am, they are compelling. I am new earth. Um, so, I, you know, yeah. I'm very 6,000, 8,000. Yeah. So uh, that is where I am currently. But I am not going to die on that hill when I'm witnessing to correct. a new Christian. Same. Yeah, that's correct. I, yeah. I'll let Absolutely. that point go so quickly and try mm -hmm. to get to Jesus as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. um, but what I do know, and, and this is, I've shared this, I think, two weeks ago, but when... My dad was led to faith because of a guy that, that witnessed him through science and unsolved issues like that, like oh, yeah, evolution, micro versus yeah. macro, and 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 oh. and, and that was the Barry main, got saved that way through. Oh, I his, didn't. It, I didn't actually know. How which makes yeah. sense. He was also a marine biologist. So it makes he was a, a marine sense. biologist. Yeah. So they, he'd go on a trip every year and uh, to Canada at yeah. Thousand Islands, and uh, his pastor friend that he grew up with witnessed him ten hours there and back for twenty years. Nice. And oh, uh, I he, heard that on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so he he witnessed through like basically the micro and macro was what the the over the edge yes. to how they could fit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And interesting. But what I'm saying though is like those I would I think I want to get to the point where I'm confident to explain both sides so they can be used as tools for evangelism. Yes. You know, like I want to be able to understand new and old earth so that if I talk to someone, yeah, I can yeah. get to Jesus through showing that I'm competent enough to keep up with them. Yeah, you know, and then get to Jesus from there. 
but I, I, I'm the same way. I just, just like, all right, I can't, my head hurts. You know, I, yeah, I, I, like, you know I, I, I know both like, sides now and I can't come to a conclusion. So like, what am I going to do with this information? Right. So, but so I that's do why think I, I say can what, use that. What apologetics, I mean, this, maybe this is me settling. I don't know, even though I'm obsessed with apologetics, like I'd rather be a jack of all trades than a master of none. That way right. you can like kind of answer anything that's coming mm-hmm. your way. Um, but my interest would definitely be in the resurrection and, and post so, because- do you know who Gary Habermas is? Oh, I love Gary Habermas. I just, yeah, we just had a Tuesday thing. His six, yeah. you know, his six minimal facts. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that to me is so much more, Yeah, that's only going back 2,000 years. So that's he, so much he more He was evidential. one of my professors too. Oh, was he really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's a great guy. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, I love Gary Habermas. I mean, he's dedicated expert. his whole entire life to the resurrection. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. Well, he especially, after his wife died, he especially got into it. And, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, he's a professor, so he's got students and graduate students right. who need to have assignments. And what so is he, he he's at Liberty. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so he just assigned his students to do all this in-depth research, mm-hmm. you know, so now he can say how many, what percentage of scholars agree to this, the, to the truth of this statement about the resurrection. I mean, that's like fantastic. Yeah, you know, yeah. nobody, nobody could have figured that out without right. the work that he did right. to do that. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's the man. Yeah. Resurrection man. Yeah. I find that fascinating. That was the, the area of apologetics I was weakest in, which he was strongest in. So when mm-hmm. we did that episode, I was like, oh man, I have a lot more to learn to do mm-hmm. yep. because that was all cold case Christianity stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and Jay Warner has really added a whole new level, right? Mm-hmm. Because he comes at it from an evidential, from a the court case type. Yeah, yeah. that angle, that way of looking, a, a tried and proven method of analyzing mm-hmm. evidence. So he just brings a whole nother. That's why he's such a. I always recommend his books. He's fantastic. Yep. I have and his, his podcast it, is great. Not yeah. to, not mm-hmm. to you know, in case there's podcast competition out there. No, <laughs> not anything. He wins. We Oh. I, uh, his new one coming out, proof person of interest. Yeah, that mm-hmm. should that yeah. should be good, yeah. right? He's um he's trying to prove Jesus' existence without using the Bible at all, and using history and you know, just nice, just he is and everybody. Yeah, I have a I have a question because I know you definitely read this guy's books and just honest take, Ravi Zacharias because I've stu- I've I've studied uh, his stuff. I met him. My brother ate dinner with him a couple times. Mm-hmm. Like my brother's church brought him into Temple University a few yep. years back. Oh, I, I, yeah. well, I was there with a team of students from Stockton. So oh, nice. Yeah, and from Rowan Very University, cool. too. Yeah, we had a whole group of people from yeah. our church went together yeah. to go see it. Yeah. And I've been blessed by his ministry most of my life. Yeah. I mean, his I've RZIM has been, mm-hmm. you know, either a podcast or I've read his book, like Why Jesus and The End of Reason. And mm-hmm. um, what's your take on everything that happened? You know, the, uh, um, well, of course, I mean, I do have um, some inside contacts um, because I I know Abdul Murray, who is North American uh, vice president of the, the company, um, the ministry. But I have not, you know, contacted him and say, hey, what's what's the inside? Mm. I, I just read the articles from World Magazine, and I think there was a good one on Christianity t- uh, today. Yeah. And... Uh, for me personally, I've read I've read one or two of his books. I've listened to his podcast for a while, but I actually, you know, it was he teaches in a really interesting manner. He's he's intellectual, 
but then he mixes that with stories, which yeah. is a fantastic mm-hmm. way to teach, by the way, right? I mean, Jesus taught Jesus that way, yeah. <laughs> right? So this is a good method, but if you listen to him for a while, you begin to hear the same stories, mm-hmm. right? And so it was kind of like um, when I would listen to Chuck Chuck Miller, um, Calvary Chapel in Southern California. Was it Chuck Miller? No, I thought it's... Uh, Chuck Miller, I thought it was Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith. Yes. Yeah, sure. he's the founder Chuck, of Calvary. Chuck, I that's right. Wait, that's so, crazy. You said Chuck. Do you know Chuck Miller? Pastor Chuck Miller. He uh, does the he does the homeless outreach in Kensington. Yeah. I don't know. That, him, that's wild that he just. That is crazy. Yeah. yeah okay. So so um, Chuck Smith used to go yeah. mm-hmm. verse by verse. Mm-hmm. So once you've been through, then it you listen to it again, and now he's he's doing it again, but it's the same illustrations, mm-hmm. the same explanations of the same verses, and it's like. Okay, well, I already heard that, you know, so I'm just on to something else. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so Ravi, Ravi was great, and but then I just kind of got bored with him. And yeah. So I was never really like some people. Like I have a friend who was really like he was their main guy, and mm-hmm. he they just loved him. And so for him to fall from grace like that was just yeah. My, I'm not. My brother was devastated because he yeah. I mean, he was on the team that hired him to come in and he legitimately like wept when he found out because he yeah. was not, he wasn't friends, weren't friends, but like he'd met him a few times and admired him. Like he was like someone he looked up to, you know, and to have that, it just, it, it's, it's thanks for the name of apologetics, I think too, a little bit because yeah. he did put his oh, face on it for quite some time. And who knows how many people fell away. If you believe Christians can fall away, how many people fell away mm. because they said, well, you know, if this wasn't true for him, it can't be true. Mm. Right? Which to me, that's just like an inability to separate the art and the artist. Yeah. Like his, the that's logic point. The logic doesn't change. Everything. There you go. You know, so it's like the logic is logic. So if the logic is right, he's, he's wrong. Right. It, it, his lifestyle choices is wrong or wrong, but the logic's there. And that's the problem with edifying anything over the word of God. Right, exactly. Because like it, I've, I can take, I can listen to someone who doesn't believe in Christianity speak and, and have them have conflicting beliefs with mine and still learn things from them, you know, because yeah. I, I, I know the word of God and that it cuts like a sword through what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And even for, and I, I, I think a lot of us put them in the category or pe- apologists in the category of that same thing where we don't need to cut with the word because we just trust the person. Yeah. But even when, you know, you go to a new church, like you have to really cut with the word and see what, you know, decipher. We have to be like the Berean Christians. Yeah. Oh, did I steal so your thing? I, cool. I can see that this podcast is Spock, Scotty, and James T. Kirk. Oh, man. And you're even wearing the red T-shirt, too. Oh, nice. So what, I, I, mean, I know Spock. Is Spock I know. cute? <laughs> <laughs> I don't He's know anything one. about it. You don't know Star Trek? <laughs> nah. Holy no. cow. Or Star Wars. So if oh, you want to leave now, you can. <laughs> you were homeschooled, though, right? No. Nah. Oh, see, that's the problem. That's yeah. why. You should have been yeah. homeschooled. You would know I these I play things. basketball, though. Cultural, ref- <laughs> cultural references from ages ago. Yeah. Um, no, the, re- the reason I brought up Robbie is because I was thinking of when, when I, whenever I would watch him speak, he would always say that whenever he does Q and A's, he only gets the same seven questions. And whenever he has like people that get up and yell yeah. at him and have the questions, it's always problem, ev- uh, a problem of evil. Right. How can God hate certain people, groups, suffering, suffering, mm-hmm. um, things like that. So I, what is, what are like the questions that you've rest, not wrestled with, but gotten the most? Do you have like a, a couple questions that you've, I guess I wish I had kept track of that. Um, I'm, I'm not one who believes that the question that a person asks is necessarily the problem, mm-hmm. right? Um, a lot of times that's the, 
you know, well, what's the weak? Like, I don't, you know, um, I don't like Christianity because it tells me I can't party on Friday nights. What's the biggest problem with Christianity? Oh, it's that there's no evidence that God exists. So that's my target, mm-hmm. right? So I'll ask you, but it's really... Volitional. It's, it's an ob- obedience thing. It's like, I don't want to be told what to do. Um, so I've always kind of focused my ministry on why are people doing what they're doing? Why do people believe what they believe? And can I, you know, why are they saying what they say? Not not necessarily that you don't answer their questions. That's, you know, you do answer their questions, but you also try to figure out why is it they have these questions in the first place? What brought about the condition that they're in? And what can I do to undermine that condition? For, so for instance, um, because if the same thing is happening to Christianity, right? The church is losing its authority in the world. I mean, when I grew up, pastors and ministers were regularly guests on news programs to ask for their opinion about a certain thing, like a like you can imagine that collapse of that um, building in Miami mm-hmm. recently, right? There would have been a minister there from Miami on the news explaining why these kinds of things happen to people and what people could do to help the church help these families, mm-hmm. right? You don't see that anymore. Mm-hmm. The church has zero authority in the community, right? Pastors had authority in the community. They were looked up to. They People wanted to hear their answers, right? And that has completely gone. So, um, so we are being undermined somehow, even though you know, we provide a lot of benefit. I mean, you know, if you look at the history of Christianity, mm-hmm. right, um, the very fact that we're here, you know, you know, uh, you know, all, well, we could go on and on, but <laughs> um, there are so many things that are just part of our culture that are here because of the words of Jesus Christ. You know, the very fact that you, um, you know, that we like children, right? I mean, children were nothing before Jesus Christ, right? They died too frequently for anybody to care about them. Mm-hmm. They were thrown away, right? If you had one that was the wrong sex and you didn't want it, you literally threw it away. That's what children were. The world is a totally different world because of the teachings of Jesus Christ. So yet that is somehow being undermined. Something is happening that's taking away our authority. Something is happening that make people think they're the enemy. When I started working with the students at Stockton University, so maybe 10 years ago, there was a professor from Stockton who was doing a a, um, conference or a talk open to the public about, and the title of it was, how do we, how do we, get rid of the Christian hegemony, Mm. right? Now, you guys probably know if you've been hearing about critical theory, right? Everybody talks about it now, but nobody knew about 10 years ago, nobody knew about critical theory, Mm -hmm. right? But it was openly being the, we have to stop these Christians. They're ruining our future. Our future could be so much better and brighter if it wasn't for these Christians. And what are they basing it on? They're basing it on atheism. They're basing it on, they have a meta-narrative, right? Which that's their talk also, the meta-narrative. They have an explanation or, well, they actually believe their meta-narrative is that there are no meta-narratives. Right, relativism. Right, but you cannot, um, you actually can't live that way. Everybody has a worldview, 
they have a worldview and they have a meta-narrative about the way the world is. And the, the way the world is doesn't include things like God existing and mm. you know, salvation and stuff like that. So, so um, they will look at you as the enemy, right? You are the non-scientific person, you know, you're the Neanderthal, and so, well, explain this to me then. Right? It's like talking to somebody who's a flat earther, mm. right? You know, you're a flat earther and you know, explain this phenomenon to me. So I, I don't think they really want that explanation. And if you did explain it to them, they would just say, huh, he got me there. I guess I'll have to go look up something else mm-hmm. because they already have accepted a meta narrative. Mm-hmm. What I'd like to do is undermine their meta narrative. Mm-hmm. And the meta narrative that they, uh, base everything on is that the universe is billions of years old. We are just accidents of nature. The universe is the kind of place where living beings can grow out of chemistry on its own with no guidance whatsoever. And that is who we are. And you guys, you Christians, can't face that. So you're impeding us. We're constantly progressing life is getting better, we're getting rid of your silly moral rules because we know that there are, in this kind of a universe, there are no moral rules. Mm -hmm. We can live how we want to, we can self-actualize and really become the kind of people that we could evolutionarily become in the future and Mm -hmm. bring on a utopia world of peace if only we could get rid of your antiquated and Neanderthal thinking. So that's the real problem. That's the real problem. It's right. that meta narrative. We need to undermine that false view of the way things are. And so the the thing that your dad reacted to, right? Macroevolution versus microevolution. If we can show that to people and show that there is no upward movement, it's all a downward mm-hmm. movement. Our DNA are literally actually falling apart. Right? We every living thing given enough time will go extinct. Entropy. It is entropy, right? It is entropy. Mm-hmm. And it happens now, of course, we have repair mechanisms, right? right? So it's going to take a long time. But even secular geneticists like Dr. James Crow has predicted that the human life, can, human race cannot survive for more than about 30,000 years. That it, it will just go extinct. And, you know, he's not a believer. He just knows this from the data mm-hmm. of genetics. So there's a great book uh, called Genetic Entropy, which I recommend for you. And uh, you can, Dr. Jan, John, Dr. John uh, Sanford, um, who was the inventor of the gene gun. So, uh, you know, he's know from Cornell University. Yeah. Um, uh, can you explain what a gene gun is? So I'm yeah. picturing a pistol that shoots genes. It actually is. Yes. It actually like a t-shirt shooter? I'm a scientist. So that's how, you know, um, it's, he did this before they were able to actually isolate um, nuclear DNA and actually poke in stuff or use CRISPR or any of that kind of stuff. So you had to get the the new DNA material into the plant. So he figured out that by um, shooting it, I think he used a 22 caliber uh, bullet and actually shot the, the new plant material into the leaf's of the um, 
host plant, that the plant would actually take that DNA and make use of it and start manufacturing other proteins and things like that. That's awesome. Yeah, so, and he actually doubled the yield of food in the world long before anybody knew anything about GMOs, you know, and all that mm-hmm. and how horrible that is. They, and I asked him, you know, what about GMO and stuff like that? He said, it's already been done. Like almost every single piece of fruit you eat has already been genetically modified using his gene gun. Like, you know why strawberries are so big? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, 50 years ago, they weren't that big. So, wow, interesting. Yeah, all the Southern Christians that listen to our podcast are like, see, guns are good. They're good for <laughs> Well, well you know, I have a funny head. story about your dad. Did you know your dad had a gun? Yeah. Yeah. So he invited me over to the house one time. We went shooting in the backyard. That's so funny. It was a gun that he made. Really? Yeah, he made it himself. It's like a musket. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of was We it? would like shoot into the neighbor's yard and stuff. <laughs> That's so funny. Doesn't sound like you. That's funny. It was a potato gun. Oh, okay. It was great. It was a blast. I'm telling you, that thing could go far. I'm sure. Imagine. Don't you remember? Don't you remember the kids from down the down the street? That you used to play with, don't you remember that they used to thought that potatoes just fell out of the sky? No. <laughs> That's funny though. I actually, I, I don't, I remember it being around, but I never, it was like gone before I was, I mean, he probably knew I was an idiot and would like shoot myself with it or something. So, um, I do remember. You were only this high. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was a little too young for the, probably knocked me off my feet. <laughs> That's cool. So I'm uh, thinking about how, cause we were talking earlier about how you were asked the question, is it lazy? To not be a to be a believer and not be invested in apologetics, no. Oh uh, yeah, not necessarily more lazy, but I guess like if before you know about apologetics, you think everyone's just pretending and including yourself, mm. and then you learn about apologetics and there's all this evidence, but you know there's a lot of believers that don't know about the evidence. That doesn't mean that now they're still not pretending. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Like so, if you're not interested in apologetics, what? How do you know what you know is true? That's my question. Yeah, I think that, and I, I think bring it back to a little bit of what we talked about before, the impetus to, to reinforce your faith, even if you come, like you said, the, the Russian lady right. that, uh, that came to faith, not through any apologetical arguments, but right. just for the, I'm almost like the antological, like, you right. know, all you need to do is confess with your mouth and believe mm-hmm. in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. So like all the, the foundation for the faith and salvation has been set by Jesus. Right. So even well, if- you have to believe it's true. Yes. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that that you have to believe it's true based on evidence, mm-hmm. right? Right. People can believe things that are true. Now I think most of the time it is right. We mostly uh, believe based on evidence. Even Jesus said, "If you don't believe my words, then believe me because of the things you see that I do." Right. The right. Even miracles. When, when, right. Even when John the Baptist was asking, like, is it, or is it really you? And he was like, tell him what I tell him what I've done. Exactly. So tell he's what, giving the seen. evidence. So God, God is not hiding up in heaven right. and, and saying, you know, he, 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 you have to believe in me, but I'm not going to give you any evidence. And if you don't mm-hmm. believe in me, you're going to hell. Right. That's not what he does. God will give you the evidence that you need, but do you need evidence? You actually don't. Right. Mm-hmm. He said, believe, right. believe my words. But if you don't, mm-hmm. then so I do think that there are people who believe just because, um, you know, it's the authority of Scripture, yeah. or maybe they oh, just a gift they of faith had an emotional yeah. right. They had right mm-hmm. something happened to them, yeah. or their life changed, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. so and I think I'm open to that. 
Yeah, I, and I, I'm, I think we all agree on that. But the part because there's two people in this room that came to faith through apologetics, right. more, and and two that I didn't. I came to faith because I was, um, you know, raised in the church and heard the true gospel and, and came to saving knowledge that way. But what I do think is not arguable is not knowing it after you're a believer, which I think is what you're talking about. Like, right. I, yeah. like it's, it's almost essential because on William Lane, Lane Craig's, he gave it like, I read an article the first time we did this before we started and it was r- listing the reasons why you should study apologetics. And the first one was if you know Jesus already, it will only make you more confident in what you already believe. Right. Mm-hmm. Because no matter what you study, it's going to come back true if you, you know, if you're actually, and that's why I liked your point where you can, you can read other things and you can read other perspectives and really invest into them. Yeah. Because I, for me, I, I can hear anything because I, I know what the word is and I have that filter to filter mm-hmm. things through, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's important as believers that we have that super strong foundation in word and doctrine. And then we have the, the freedom to learn things that might conflict so right. that you can delve into the mind of the person that might be talking to you. Which is what I think Ravi does best. I was, yes. I was just literally just going to say, it's, and I was like, it's, it's all the religions and exactly. It's like he. I agree with you. Where I got a pretty bored with Ravi pretty quick because it's it's all anecdotal. So once yeah. you once you hear a story once, you're like, okay. Um, but what he brought to the table was people couldn't be like, well, how do you well how do you know you have you experienced all religions? And pretty much, you know, he, as close as you can, he did. Like you know, he grew up in India, which right. is like that whole Silk Road all the way over. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you're next to. Laos and Thailand, but you're also next to the other side where it's Muslim and you're in, in, in within India, there's Hindu. And so it's like, you, he's, he knows a lot about a lot of them. Um, he knows more about them than, than the average. Right, yeah, he could, right. right. Exactly. He could explain pretty much all of them. So he came with that authority of like, mm-hmm. I have researched all of them and this is why this one is true. Right. Where it's like how many people have really, even if you're like really good in apologetics, witnessing to a Muslim, it's like, okay, but. Have you, someone's going to be like, well, have you explored Buddhism? Have you explored, mm-hmm, you know, right. Taoism and like all these things. So, but he pretty much like, he was very good at that. Yep. So to answer the question about what about Christians who don't think apologetics is important, I would ask that person, how much evangelism are you doing? I, it, exactly. Right. I mean, it used to be the case when I was young that, you know, there were evangelism things like D. James Kennedy um, program where you would just you would ask these certain questions. Do you think you're going to heaven or not? You know, and you would just knock on somebody's door and you could ask these questions, and you would be able to lead people to the Lord, right? That you would show them that you know the Bible says they're going to go to hell, but here's the answer, and Jesus is your your savior, and people would get saved that way. Mm-hmm. But now you get pushback, mm-hmm. right? Because there have been so many books by atheists written, and people know this stuff, and so. If, you know, I got recently got asked to do some training from some Campus Crusade kids who are witnessing in Ocean City because they're out there witnessing and this is what's happening to them. They're getting all these questions and they don't know how to answer mm-hmm. them. And so we need the apologetics so that we can answer, so we can get rid of those obstacles that are in the way. And so, and I think that for many people, they really are obstacles. So... You know, it's not just about that meta narrative and how, but that's what creates the obstacles, right? The meta narrative, the the alternate atheistic worldview, mm. sets up the parameters that says that well, these these objections must be true, and so when you try to witness, well, here's what about this objection, and if you can answer, you know, sufficiently, then now the person can begin to doubt their own meta narrative. Mm-hmm. 
And then you can continue to say, you know, well, what about this? Have you considered this? What about genetic decay? You know, do you know about it? Well, of course they don't know about it, mm -hmm. right? Because it's not being taught, mm -hmm. right? And it's just completely ignored. Right. So, and I kind of I agree with you. I, I kind of think that the average non-believer thinks that we are all either one brainwashed or two all pretending. Well, so then when they hear points, you're like, oh, so this, okay, so there's actual support for why you you know what you believe. You know, it's like it right. it holds weight when you actually have reasons behind your belief. Who was the atheist that we were talking about, Cole, right before we started? What was his name? He's the main one that always debates with Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, and William Lane Craig. Harris? It well, Sam Harris. Harris. Yeah. Yeah, and Sam Harris. I was recently uh, watching one with him and Jordan Peterson and uh, just, like, listening to their different opinions. And one thing that I thought was interesting is he – there apparently is statistics or are statistics that Christians on average have less understanding of science in general – than people who are atheists. And and right. and the reason would be is because their foundation is in, in, you know, they had to make a conscious decision to opt out of the culture of Christianity into atheism and, you know, scientifically reason and do research on that part. When I think a lot of us come to Christian Christianity through faith and then stop and never get the opposite perspective foundation. Well, there, right. You well, know? and there's a lot of atheistic evangelism going on in the universities. Right. So if you, have, are if you have been trained in science, you have also probably been trained in how religious, you know, um, creationism is a kooky mm -hmm. view and, you know, we can prove that it's not true. Look at the, you know, um, Darwin's finches, right? Mm. Right? So therefore that's proof Christianity is false. So of course that you of course you would get statistics like that. Mm -hmm. So, but that just means that as a church, maybe we need to. Because um, the university is the high ground, right? You know, atheistic ideas like Marxism have led to this concept of critical race theory, critical theory, then you know, critical everything else, Liberation critical race theory, and all that. Yep, exactly, and. Um, so those things have filtered down from the university, but they did something very smart, right? I, they focused on the teaching universities, right? The universities that produce the teachers that will go out into all the rest mm. of the United States and teach your children. And that was so strategic, mm -hmm. right? It's like, you know, who can I infect with this idea virus? and have them spread it the most efficient manner to all of the United States. And that was the way, and it worked beautifully. Mm -hmm. so, um, so why can't we do that, right? Why can't we regain the high road in the university? Well, maybe it's too late, right? But we have to try, So, because that is the high ground. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and the conversations about, and I, know, I don't think we could delve too, in, too far into this without making it a separate episode, but... Critical race theory and liberation theology are the two biggest things that I've seen Christians going towards. Like mm -hmm. it's a divergence that you take when you decide that you can apply lenses to scripture that devalue scripture and then go different side routes. So, I, I mean, the, the thought process that I go through, because there's one person that um, uh, um, has influence that I, I know that's a Christian. And we, 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 he po often posts about things like um, 
liberation theology and critical race theory, and he's a believer, but it basically comes down to he doesn't believe the Bible's true. Because if he does, then you don't need those other things to add to it. It's not right. not that it's not true, but it's not enough. And I think that's where a lot of these these side conversations come from, and why I think things like the the resurrection and proving that the the dating of the first te- the New Testament gospels and make sure they're close to the resurrection enough to where their testimonies mean something are important. Because if that if all of those things are enough, then you don't need to add these other theories to you know to it to make sense in today's world and. Honestly, I've seen more people fall from my generation that I went to college with as Christians fall away because of liberation theology and critical race theory than I have any other, um, like even agnostic or atheist tendencies. I haven't ever, I've never lost a brother to to say that they are now atheists from Christianity, but I have had people say the Bible can't be taken literally because of these theories that I know to be true that match up with the world. So what I found most interesting recently in, in our conversations is the idea of like expository apologetics of using the Bible to show why the Bible is true and doing that through, you know, different uh, going through the testimony accounts that you're talking about with the J Warner Wallace. Um, anyway, so that's to me, the end goal in any of these conversations I'm having, it always comes down to is the Bible true or is it not? And so that's where recently Absolutely. my more studying has been going because mm-hmm. once you establish that point, is it true? Is it trustworthy? Then you can go anywhere from there. But if you don't, there's not, it's like a presupposition you can't get past. Right. And that's right. always that's Excellent. always been historically. It's mm-hmm. always been you have to attack the scriptures. There's no other way. If that's what's being held as authority, then that's what you're going to have to attack. Or else nice. There's no other way to do it. Yeah. So way back, it's always been the attack on, on scriptures, the authority of the scriptures. So what if the what are the most convincing arguments that you've heard for the existence of God? Like I know for me, um, I, I my dad always made me read Mere Christianity once or twice a year. Oh, he, good. he always like it was like his thing. He loved yeah. it. It was a big part of his faith. Like when he first got saved, that's yeah. what he he yeah, read. Me too. So he he really pushed it on me. So I've I've read it probably half a dozen times, mm-hmm. and that for me and it has always been my go-to reassurance, if I've ever had any like monicum of doubt, it's been like, it just, I can't get past the, the moral argument. Right. Is there one that's more convincing for you or is... So, well, I already shared that the moral argument was the one that convinced me that God existed. So I think that that's very powerful. Um, the cosmological argument, I think, is, you know, very, very strong. Um Although it's hard to say because, you know, we're looking at it from this side, right? I'm already now a believer. So as a believer, I think this is so powerful. But sometimes when you're, you know, talking to an atheist and you're, you give them that, they're, you know, they're like, think it's a trick or something like, you know, yeah, this like is just a confirmation a, bias. Or this something. is a word game or something, but it's not, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and and one of the ways that you know it's not is because it was essentially taught by Aristotle, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the, there, so secular people have realized that God must exist Mm -hmm. because of the cosmological argument. So, um, so it is a very, very powerful argument. Um, and it's good to know it. Um, so obviously William Lane Craig is probably the best, um, expounder of this argument. And I, I recommend his book On Guard, which goes through, like the objections to the argument and what about the answers to the objections. And okay. it's, a, it's a really kind of a nested hierarchy of questions that you can, um, 
you know, it's it's almost like learning the opening to a chess move, right? Like, how okay. do I play the queen's gambit? Well, what if they do this? And what if they do that? And what if mm-hmm. they, oh, well, then this and then this and then this. So he lays it out really beautifully. So he's like arguing with himself basically for a book. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> teaching you like like if he were in a debate. He would expect, you know, these five objections to his to mm. cosmological argument. So what does he say? Well, to this one, he says this, and then, but what if they after that they say this? And so he gets gives you he but, just lays that, it out as a blueprint. And that's how the, all the ancient Greek philosophers wrote back then. A lot they, of times, yeah, you know, right? Plato and, and Socrates, and they would go back and forth, and they would eventually come to a conclusion at the end. Yep. So so, so that so I think that's powerful. Um, ontological argument I like. I think I think. Or, yeah, I guess it's the I guess it's the ontological. I haven't dealt with this in a little while, mm. um, but um, other lately I've been going with uh, genetic arguments because it's something that people do know a little bit about. People are interested in it because you know it's always a hot topic. You know, mm. learning about CRISPR and things like that, and. So I think that's very powerful to show that life is decaying, life is not growing and developing, and you know mutations are virtually always uh, harmful. And when they're not harmful, they're neutral, but that's still a bad thing, right? Um, because you've still lost information, even though the organism had a backup plan or you know something. So it was essentially a neutral event. You still lost information, so um, I I tend to go with those kinds of arguments now. Um, so to follow that train of thought, that would yeah. be like if 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 it's a new world situation, then where Adam or a young Earth, young Earth. Sorry, that's what yeah. I was thinking. Young Earth, mm-hmm. um, the young Earth situation. That would mean that the if it were as old as they're projecting, ten billion years, it the DNA would wouldn't be possibly preserved. The genes Correct. wouldn't be okay. Yeah, millions of years is not possible. Okay. So, um, and that's helpful. And you you can even do that in a with an old Earth viewpoint, right? You can say that um, God must have ha- somehow been responsible for bringing about life and maintaining it because we know that DNA is falling apart. Okay. Right. I mean, it's falling apart in you right now. Right. Your DNA is constantly being mutated and repaired. And you will one day die of something that is likely, unless a car hits you, right? Mm. But we'll- uh, Actually, I hope uh, that's the way it goes. So. Yeah, there you go, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's less painful than yeah. the DNA yeah. mutation leading <laughs> yeah. to cancer and stuff like that. Genetic decay. Right? <laughs> so so even in your own body, DNA, DNA is just falling apart. It's also happening at the population level, right? Our DNA is literally falling apart. Now, some things like- um, Natural selection do weed out some, but as long as you are passing on a single harmful mutation to the next generation, and that generation passes on a single one, and and so on down the line, on average, if that's what is happening, everything will go extinct. Extinct. Period. So, um, because. The chances of harmful mutations are billions to one, billions to one. Mm. Um, the truth is that we pass on about 75 harmful mutations to the next generation every with every generation. Now, you've got you know, um, billions of nucleotides and things like that. So, yeah, 75, it's not really 
big, but now you talk over thousands or tens of thousands of years, that's a lot of data that you're losing. That's a lot of software that's being corrupted. And pretty soon the program doesn't work anymore. Okay. So does that play into, and this is going to be a Bible question. I'm just thinking through the implications because that's an argument that I've, I've heard briefly, but not explained as well as you just did. Why old Testament um, Patriarchs. people were so old yeah. and were able to live so long because of genetic dilution so wasn't happening. Partly. Um, have you heard of something called telomeres? Yes. Okay. So you know that telomeres are a little DNA tag on the end of the chromosomes that when they, when you have cell division, the cell actually takes off. It's kind of like a little counter. And so you might have 80 telomeres and that and then each time it divides, it takes one of those off. So that's like a little counter. And so the cell knows that it is only permitted to divide 80 times, and then it has to stop. Okay. When it gets to the end, it stops. And um, so that's happening to your body. So, so even as a baby, um, the cells on your skin, maybe um, 5% of them have become when it gets to the end and it can no longer divide it's called senescent so it's a senescent cell that can no longer replace itself okay. if it gets harmed or injured it it uh, either has to be repaired or it has to be scrapped for parts which the body's really good about that which is another thing unexplainable by evolution but we'll pass that for now mm. and then as you get older like you look at me right i'm much older than you guys are my skin is maybe 80% senescent cells, right? These are skin cells that can no longer repair themselves. Well, not repair themselves, no longer replace themselves. So if they run into trouble, they have to be either repaired or they have to be junked, right? Okay. And scrapped for parts. So, and that is the main thing. It's not that aging isn't a very complex thing. It's incredibly complex. And that's another amazing thing about life. If if life really did begin from nothing on its own, the more you studied it, the simpler it would become because you're headed back towards chemistry, mm -hmm. right? Simple chemistry. But that is not what we find. The more we look at life, the more complex it is. And when you look at that new area of complexity, you find out that it's vastly even more complex and it just keeps getting deeper and deeper, like it's beyond imagination now, so that there are subspecialties of subspecialties in the field of genetics, right? Mm -hmm. Because nobody can keep up with all of this new information. And so um, aging cannot be simplified only to the telomeres, but we at least know that that is the clock mechanism, right? And that is the master control. There are a lot of other things involved, mm -hmm. but that's certainly the control. So. In a typical cell, you have about 80 telomeres, so each cell can divide. What if that telomere length is 800, mm. right? So the master control is more... You would, yeah. instead of you know, living to be 90 years old, you would live 10 times longer. You would live to be 900. Methuselah. Right. So, and... Um, it's also possible, do you, do you know that in 19, roughly 1990, maybe 1991, a company, so a company called Geron did an experiment. They were working with this newly discovered thing called telomeres, 
and they discovered that there is a protein called an enzyme called telomerase. And telomerase, after the telomere has been cut off, telomerase grabs that telomere and reattaches it. So that, that cell has not aged. Telomerase is normally on when you're an embryo in development okay. so that your, your body can grow, cells can divide, 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 and never get older because the telomere is added back on. Then at um, a certain stage in development, all of those telomere ACE um, genes are turned off with something we now call epigenetics, right? It's the control mechanism of the DNA. That's all turned off. And now you're stuck with the length of telomeres that you have. Now, how hard do you think it would be if evolution is true for an evolutionary mutation to occur that simply turned on telomerase in all your cells? And you literally could live forever as long as you had, you know, nutrition and, you know, all the parts that were necessary to make the repairs. So Geron actually turned on telomerase in human tissue and they made immortal, they created an immortal line of human tissue, skin tissue. So this was all published in the literature. I thought, oh, this is a fantastic discovery. Certainly they're going to make millions of dollars. I bought a bunch of stock in their thing. <laughs> and it never went anywhere because they decided that the most important line of uh, uh, investigation with telomeres was uh, cancer prevention and getting creating a medication that would stop cancer. Because one of the things when a cell goes cancerous, the reason that it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and basically consumes all the space around it is because telomerase has been turned on through a mutation. Okay. And that if you, if you get a benign tumor, a tumor that just grows and stops suddenly, right, just becomes a lump and then that's all that it's doing and you can surgically just remove it, that's because even though it had the growth, uncontrollable growth was turned on, the telomeres were telomere ace was not turned on, so it can't grow forever. It can only grow until okay. it gets to its half lack. Uh, not pronouncing that correctly. Half lack limit. We won't. Nobody listening will know if it's okay. right or not. Well, so somebody will. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll get a nasty email. Yeah, yeah. I'll we'll send it to you. We'll forward it to you. Yeah. So, um, um, so, so that so, so does quick, explain. So that it is now completely scientifically plausible that not only could God have created human beings who would live forever as long as they had hmm. the fruit, which maybe contains, yeah, the fruit of the garden maybe contains telomerase. Telomerase actually is how it's pronounced. Um, That's what I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> you knew I was wrong. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I could tell. I just want to let you, you go. Tell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or could live to 900 years. And then, so then what happens after the flood? Well, you get this this beautiful um, biological decay curve if you map out the ages and the generations. And you see, like, listen to me, the guy who wrote, you know, if, you, if you're a, an atheist, you think that, you know, 
couple of guys got together around 500 uh, BC and wrote the Old Testament, right? Those guys didn't know anything about biological decay curves, right? Mm. So how did they make it match with such a high R value mm. to the actual data? Um, so, so, but all that would take is some mutations, you know, a certain amount of the population had a mutation that prevented telomerase from continuing. Um, and so the telomeres got shorter and shorter and shorter with each next generation to, to the point where um, there are people in the Bible who watched their eighth generation grandchild die of old age, right, when they were still alive. Now, what do you think that their eighth generation grandchild would think of them as a person? Wouldn't they think that they were godlike, that they never died? And certainly they're worthy of worship. So you have the, the you have the beginning of all of the false religions about you know these great deities you know that lived on Mount Olympus and they lived forever, but they were like other people, right? They still did bad things. You know, demigods, they, the demigods, yeah. exactly, right? They're half human, half divine, right? Because they live forever, and it would be like us. You know, there's a disease called progeria. Mm -hmm. And children get it. And one of the problems is it's, it either is that their telomeres are very short or there's another variation of, of progeria is kind of a, a group disease with all of these early aging problems. So they keep growing, right? No, they actually grow old. And okay, so they okay. die, they literally will die of old age at around the age of 12. There, there, was, a man like Benjamin our, Button. there was a man in our church um, who had that, uh, who passed away. He was about 20. Wow. But and he, he died of old age. Old. He died. He, yeah, he looked like so he, he was seventy or eighty. Arthritis. <laughs> they get everything. Everything that you get: coronary artery disease, arthritis. Yeah. They just literally fall apart, and that is from their cells not being able to replace themselves. Right? There's, there's, they are not allowed to. Uh, you know. So, so, so not only do we have uh, scientific backup for the literal scriptural um, history of the patriarchs, but we also have further evidence that evolution as a macro evolution can't be true. It can't be true. It's such a simple thing, right? You can go into a cell and turn on tel telomerase, right? And and so, I mean, now why aren't they doing that? I don't know. I don't but, know why they're not doing it. I, you know, actually I do because I've read a lot of the literature. They fear that that will cause cancer because remember... I said that one of the things grows. you need about five or six mutations to occur in just the right um, places to create cancer, and you know you have to get rid of the defense mechanisms, and you have to you have to it's got to grow fast. It has to have an unlimited time frame. It's got to be able to grow forever, and then you will. So so tumor cells, cancers are essentially immortal. As long as they can be fed, they will grow. They keep dividing, dividing, dividing until they kill you, till they eat up your whole body. So my my question is, you were you were saying, you know, quite questioning the evolutionary theory of yeah. this. Like, why wouldn't evolution just do this? Turn on the right. tomorrow. That wouldn't that just through evolution? Evolution would that imply that growing older nine hundred years was is beneficial to society? So only if you can, from an evolutionary I mean, maybe, point maybe of it view. Maybe 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 it's not. I don't know. Like, well. From an evolutionary point of view, it just matters how many children you can have, right? So, and if and then you're no longer used, right? Full. And so, so remember that everything. Remember the 
people with a short telomere, they're dying of old age at 12, 20, mm-hmm. right? So, so they're actually aging early. So if you have long telomeres, you actually don't age, right? So a man who is 300 years old would look like a 30-year-old. And a man who is 90, 900 years old would look like a 90-year-old. That's what would be happening right. to your skin and to the rest of your organs in your body. So everything so reproductive you, you is still, not, you could continue. So you but know, I'm saying when are men good up to? Maybe they can keep having babies until 70s or 80s. So you could keep having babies okay, from so 700 or 800. Saying, so yeah. you could... Right, you could Populate. have thousands yeah. of offspring, and that is what evolution cares about. Mm-hmm. Evolution okay. cares about gotcha. how many offspring can you produce. I guess that gives a whole new meaning to the Genesis, like be fruitful, multiply. Literally, absolutely, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So none of us are meeting that standard. If that's <laughs> thousands, I have one, and I'm calling it quits. Well, I think I think Jewish, um, what's the word? Not history, but um, culture. Tradition. Jewish tradition? tradition says that Adam and Eve had about 70 children. Mm-hmm. I think it was, I think it's 72. So yeah, you can pop them out. If you live a long time, you can pop out a lot of kids. So the curse for Eve was real. She's no, a yeah, childbirth with 72 children. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I actually, not that, I would like to hear your filter through this, but I listened to a podcast on um, the Bible Project and I've, before, um, like two weeks ago, and I actually brought it up to them because I was like, that was so confusing. But they have a doctor, Dr. S. Joshua Swadamas. Oh, yeah. Sw- I yeah. said that wrong. Swamidas? Swamidas, that's him. And he talked about the the same genetic argument. All yep. those conclusions I did not feel comfortable with, but I didn't understand what he was talking about enough to, mm-hmm. to, under, to, to know what he was to disagree or have an intellectual right. opinion on. But he had a whole different opinion on Adam and Eve and... Yep. That, so he he believed that there was like the where Cain's wife was it Cain's wife that, that there's no biblical reference for was a part of another group of people that were on the earth already when right. God created Adam and Eve and he was arguing through the and his main argument was that at, we share no biological semblance to Adam and Eve because after about five generations the genes break down so much to where you don't have any. It was it was a long argument. So yeah. next time we talk, I'd like to hear what you th- if you oh, okay. think about that. It's it's uh, it was. I do know to hear. about that. I do know uh, you know Bill Craig has become very enamored with uh, Swami Das. Oh, has he? Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, I do know about his argument. Now I'm not a geneticist, but I have mm. friends who are. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, you know I I can ask questions of Dr. Rob Carter, Dr. John Sanford, um, some others. And uh, so I know a little bit about this, but it is a very complex argument. But, you know, he was a Christian a geneticist, and he was just looking like, is it technically possible in an old earth viewpoint? Is it technically possible that every person on earth has the DNA of two people, one male and one female? And, and his answer is yes. And of course, our answer is yes too, right? Because well, yeah, simply just, because there aren't any other people, right? Right. Yeah. So, but you know, it's just they would have died off. It's like you know, um, I think some statistics came out about how many people in Asia are related to Genghis Khan. Oh, right. It, it's wild. It's wild, yeah, yeah. right? It's like seventy percent mm-hmm. of the population. Now, did he actually have that much babies? Right. Yeah. No, he didn't. But 
the other branches kind of died off. He did have a really strong branch, mm -hmm. and that just simply replaced the others as they died off. And so it's kind of, I think it's called genetic drift, where, you know, it's kind of a random lottery, you know, and, and you get, you can wind up over enough time, you will wind up with basically one strain of human, of humanity, if there was a, an initial beginning population, which he right. believes, I think, something like 8,000. He thinks that there probably were an initial population of 8,000, like, proto-humans. And then, um, and one of them was Adam, and one of them was Eve. And, and yeah. Well, I was going to say, even if you believe in evolutionary theory in millions of years, wouldn't it still go back to two people anyway? Or my, wouldn't it still go back to two homo sapiens, the first two homo sapiens sapiens? Like, no, because it depends on, like, you know, what are you considering human, right? So if you're saying Ultra, homo sapiens yes. sapien, I, right? I don't even know what it is. Is that That's the yeah. one, right, I think? Yeah, that, that's oh, us. Yeah, yeah, us. Yeah, we're homo sapiens sapiens. So, which they tagged it on because they had to change things. You know, yeah, it yeah. keeps changing. Yeah, you have yeah, to keep yeah. up right. with this stuff. So, um, so yeah, the the idea is that there was a population of pre-humans who began to accumulate genetic enough genetic changes that they became right. They're in that group loosely called humans, and then as different parts float away, and this part continues on, that becomes humans. So it's a process that happens yeah. with a population. That's that's how they view it happening. So um, yeah, you you would come down to two people because you can trace back the mitochondrial DNA through mm -hmm. women and you can trace back the Y chromosome DNA through men. It doesn't mean that they had to have lived at the same time or that they had ever had to interact other than that their offspring did. Mm. Okay. So that's so that's their gotcha. viewpoint. Now, if you don't believe the old earth viewpoint and you look at the data and you say, well, okay, I'm measuring mitochondrial Eve and I'm measuring um, the, the DNA damage and, and how much it changes. And then I'm tracing back to see, trying to get back to the original prime uh, DNA before it's been mutated. Right, so to a single woman, right? Whatever she has, that's what we'll call the ancestor, and then it all diverged. So we're going to trace it back. If you look at and you measure the rate, and you say, "Well, I have a great grandmother, a grandmother, a daughter, and a grand granddaughter," right? And let's check their DNA, and let's do this all around the world with thousands of individuals, and see just how fast mitochondrial DNA is changing, which even in men, all of our mitochondria came from our mothers, not from men. It comes; it's part of the egg. So, you know, the, no, your father didn't didn't provide any mitochondrial DNA for you. Your mother did. So it's all traced back through the women. So it's great because it's not; it's pure. Thanks for nothing, right? Dad. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know. Thanks for nothing, Dad. Exactly. That's that's all where our energy comes from. Yeah. You know, it's all from our mother. And um, so, if you measure that rate of change, and then you go back. How long does it take till you get to the original? It takes about 6,000 years. And this was even written in the journal article that discussed this in a secular article published in a secular journal. And he said, this is what the results are. And then his next line was, but of course, nobody believes this. See, that's what my, my next so, question was like about that is, 
there seems to be an equal and opposite scientific representation for yeah. the existence of God and or at least a young earth. Mm-hmm. Why is it not scientifically accepted ever by mainstream science? Because of mechanism what happens in place? to you. Yeah, there is a mechanism in place. So I can describe what happened to, and I wish I could remember his name, but he was an eminent evolutionary scientist who was an expert. Mm, uh, you know how they they specialize in, I don't know what he was expert in. Like he was like the world's leading expert in dragonflies or something. But anyway, <laughs> right, he lived in Germany. He was the head of uh, a uh, large museum in Germany and it was coming up on the... 200th anniversary of um, Charles Darwin. So he decided to have a display and, you know, because he wanted to show how successful evolution had been. So he created this display that had a balance in it. And on one side, he put uh, the origin of species. And on the other side, he put as many books, you know, from a young earth perspective and, you know, anti-evolution books as he could find. And he put them. Somebody asked him, you ever read any of those? No, he hadn't read any of them. So he thought, well, that's that's not very intellectually honest. Maybe I should read them. So he did. And he found out he was wrong. Mm. He found out that evolution wasn't true. He realized as an expert, right, as an expert, that they were right. But it's because they've never read it. So what happened to him? Do you think he was lauded and no. elevated and became the the president of their the German uh, evolutionary society? No, he lost his job. He lost all his income, right? Just fired mm. because he made the mistake of admitting that he no longer believed in macroevolution. So that doesn't have to happen to too many people before you learn not to pay any attention to that. Mm. Don't be reading those books. Don't be talking about it, right? And so they literally don't know. They literally do not know that information that I gave you about that. That reference will never be footnoted, right? Nobody will ever refer to that reference in their their papers because they don't want the same thing to happen to them. Mm. And then it becomes, a, you know. So they don't know about right. it. Right? Geneticists then- don't know about it. A young Earth perspective, or even a, anything anti-evolutionary, will become a, they label it as like a pseudoscience. Right. So all new information is only accepted as long as it supports the current narrative, not that it would right. help guide right. it. Right. Which is the opposite of what science should be. Should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I listened to uh, someone defined science the other day as as uh, loosely defined science as a, a cause and effect. You either find the effect and you're looking for the cause, or you find a cause and you're looking mm-hmm. for what mm-hmm. the effect would be. Perfect. And then that's how it's supposed to shape the narrative. Mm-hmm. And it's just not. And, right. and, and it comes from someone evolution who Evolution doesn't have a sufficient cause. They cannot explain the production of new information. Mm. Right? Getting rid of old information, right? That doesn't work. That works for a while, right? If you've if you've got things that you can chuck, like a like a balloon that is losing air. Right, and you've got some complicated, heavy things in your basket, like a computer. Right? Okay, was a computer valuable? Is it got information in it? Yeah, but what happens if you throw it overboard? Mm-hmm. You survive. And for evolution, for natural selection, that's all that matters is that you survive. So you know, a retreating army 
can blow up a bridge and save themselves, right? So they're not annihilated by the enemy, so they survive. Mm -hmm. But blowing up a bridge is not the same as building a bridge from scratch, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the same. So they're literally talking about two different things, macro and microevolution, and evolutionists don't understand this. They're not taught it. They don't understand it. I mean, you can explain it to them, right? They're not idiots, but um, they're just simply not taught, taught it. They don't know the evidence. It's the same as, you know, look at um, plate tectonics, right? It took something like 80 years for the scientific community to accept plate tectonics, but plate tectonics was first described by a young earth geologist like 100 years ago. Right? I mean, you can look at a map and pretty much figure out that these things used to be together. Yeah. Right? It was never accepted. And even the scientists who, you know, did promote it, it took 80 years. Um, now we have very, very strong scientific evidence that that plate tectonics was actually rapid and that it's just the, the actual physics of what happens when one plate goes below another plate that it has to go faster and faster because the friction goes away because the, it generates so much heat that the plate gets liquefied. Mm. And so there's a, a layer of lava around the plate and it just dives. And what do we discover now, something like five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, with new um, imaging of the inner earth using using. MRI technology for the for the calculations and um, earthquake sonography for the data, feeding it into a computer to see what is inside, just like you see inside a body with an MRI, who, by the way, the creator of the MRI was a creationist and he never got his Nobel Prize because he was a creationist. Shout out to... I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember his name anymore. Um, they have found things that they call earth blobs. What are earth blobs? Yeah, that's my question. Yeah. <laughs> earth blobs... It's like fat American swimming. Are, <laughs> ...are these objects that are laying right below where the plates subduct, right at the core of the earth, that are 4,000 degrees cooler than the rest of the mantle. 4,000 degrees cooler, right? Wow. The same temperature as the crust of the earth is now. Mm. So there are these piles of earth's crust at the core of the earth that are called earth blobs. They're unexplainable things, right? We don't know what they are, right? So, I mean, and it just goes along with all of the other, I don't know what they are, things that mm. atheism has like, dark matter, dark energy, right? I mean, our theory only works if there's this invisible stuff called dark matter. And then the math works. Oh, but no, it doesn't quite work. So there's actually dark energy, mm. right? That you can't see, you can't, right? It's, yet they believe in them, right? They believe in them because that's what, you have to get, you have to get, you've got all these unexplained answers. So the evidence that Christianity has for young earth um, explains not only everything that the Bible said was there and that you would find, but it also explains all the data 
that we have. The reason there's no dark matter and no dark energy is because your your formula is wrong, right? The the universe hasn't been expanding for billions of years, right? It's only been expanding for a short time. Mm. Wow, so. it's good stuff. I, I the the question kind of came out of my head for the mechanism that kind of squashes things because. But then that one debate I was listening to with Sam Harris, his main argument was because he, he's accused often of having a, a bias that doesn't let him collect data in an objective way. Mm-hmm. And his bias is always against the existence of God. And the reason why, because he was called out on it, was he believes that religion, um, if disbanded, he believes that the only reason why slavery is, is here is because of religion. Um, because you, it's been justified for hundreds or thousands of years um, because of uh, the Bible. It's his main argument. And he believes that it's actually better for there not to be a Bible and not to be a God. So his life's goal is to use science to displace the Bible mm-hmm. out of the the consciousness of, of um, society so that the future can be a better place. Right. And so to have like one of the leading scientists in the field admit he has a bias and the bias is to prove that God doesn't exist. And then to take any of the things, any of his observations of the data and take them as reasonable, it's just, it's, it's just, I don't know, to me, it just it completely took away any credibility that he had. Right. When I'm trying my absolute best to understand objective things from um, information I'm given and the person who's on the other side is saying they're not objective at all. Right. And admitting to it. I think that's one of the mechanisms. It's like, even if, it, I mean, because he really believes that it'd be better if, like the quote that I, I said last time we were talking was, he, he he said that if he were given the choice to eliminate religion or rape, he would choose religion. And because he believes that it's more damaging than the second one. Does he have and, a daughter? I don't know. Well, <laughs> I, what I'm saying is that there's an open agenda and it's not a conspiracy. It's right. it, They're openly just ad- admitting it. Right. It's even Pinker, you know. Well, we all have our biases, mm-hmm. right? And the goal should be to try to rid ourselves of those biases. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, teaching adult Bible study today, and I reminded people that, you know, as many things as we, ideas and things that we hold in our mind at a time we think are true, right? We believe these things, there might be thousands of them. We believe they're true. But because we're human, because we're fallible, because even though logic might be pure in and of itself, mm-hmm. we will make logical mm-hmm. mistakes. Right. We make logical errors. We fall for fallacies and mm-hmm. things like that. So we can, of those, let's just pick a number and say, I, I believe a thousand things. I know for sure that some of those things are wrong. I, I know. I, the problem is I don't know which ones, which ones they are. Right. Right, because if I thought they weren't true, I wouldn't believe them. Mm-hmm. Right, I would mm-hmm. think they're not true. It's I think these all these things are true. So if you're going to advance, you have to realize that you can't be biased. Right, you will never find those things. Then, if if everything you think now is true, always will be true, and can never be gainsaid, then you can never progress. You will never find those things that are wrong. You always need to be open-minded and believe that I could be wrong. I even believe that I could be wrong about Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's technically possible, yeah. right? But I, I would weigh the evidence, yeah. right? It's the arguments and the evidence. That's that's the only way that you can really know anything for sure. Um, so 
Uh, we have to be open. I might be wrong about, you know, there's lots of things I might be wrong about, old earth, young earth. Mm. Um, but and so we as Christians, because those things, like you said, right, those things don't ultimately matter. It's mm -hmm. about the resurrection mm -hmm. and it's about whether Christianity is true. Those are the things. So can that be, happen and the earth is old? Sure. Mm -hmm. Can it happen and the earth is young? Sure. But think about their side. If you're on the atheist worldview side, can the earth be 6,000 years old and your views, your atheism is still true? Mm. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. So there are a lot of things that from the atheist point of view, you cannot accept. You, you cannot be open-minded about it. There, there's the even a thing. famous quote, right? We cannot allow a divine foot in the door, right? Like the salesman, right? You, he, you get his mm -hmm. foot in the door and he's going to be in the room, right? So then atheism is gone. If, if the earth is young, there's no, there's no atheism, there's no evolution. So we are the ones who can objectively look at science, weigh the evidence objectively, and we need to be careful that we're not carrying our own biases and saying, you know, because there are... There is evidence that the Earth is old, right? Like you said, it's a very complex thing, right? What about radiometric dating, mm. right? Young Earth scientists and physicists, you know, have looked at the data to see, is it really true that so much uranium has actually turned into lead over, um, well, s since recorded time, 6,000 years? Is it true? Yes, it is true. It is true that billions of years worth of uranium has converted to lead. That's a fact. Mm. So the, a modern young earth scientist knows that that's true, but how do you explain it? In the, Again, our viewpoint is that uh, it probably speeded up and can, can radioactive um, decay rates increase? Anybody ever heard of a nuclear bomb? Mm -hmm. Right? A nuclear bomb can't go off unless radiometric decay happens rapidly. Mm. Right? If it's just uranium sitting there getting old, it doesn't explode. So we know that can happen. So it probably either happened at creation or it happened at the fall or it happened during the flood. Um, but we know it happened. So we accept that data. That fits into our paradigm. Um, but we have lots of evidence that doesn't fit their paradigm, period, like all the um, mitochondrial DNA in human beings is only 6,000 years old. Mm. How, how do you explain that? Right? You don't, mm. right? There is no explanation from an atheistic viewpoint. So they can't accept it. It's simply, it's just crazy talk. You, you've got your tinfoil hat on again. <laughs> oh, but I can show you the data. No, I'm not listening. It's the same thing. Now think about it from our point of view. Let's say that I was here, you invited me today here, and um, you, you're here because I'm a political person, but I tell you that I'm a Nazi, mm. right? And I'm going to convince you that Nazism is true. Are you even going to listen to me? Right? No, you would say, I might oh, have well. to because I'd be scared, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're not gonna listen to me. You're not you are not open to hearing the evidence that Nazism is true. Mm. And and 
you know, I, I mean, that's an extreme example, yeah. but it gives you the idea. They are not open. Well, especially materialists, yes. because once they, they can't take the historical proof of the Bible or anything because there's miracles in it. So they yeah. immediately dismiss all the accuracy of the, of the scriptures because it's next exactly to right. miracles. And they cease to be materialists right. if you allow right. something that's not material, which mm -hmm. we can prove right now. We can prove mm -hmm. right now that materialism must be false mm -hmm. because all you need is something that is non-material to exist. So you can ask your materialist friend, did you ever send a fax? <laughs> well, sure, I've sent a fax. So what's that got to do? Well, what was transmitted? What, what went from what, if I have a page of a document, let's say it's a recipe, how to make this really cool um, cherry pie, and I fax it to you. What did you receive on the other end? Did you receive the paper? Did you receive the ink? Did you even receive the electrons that made it up? No, you didn't receive any of that, but you have something. You actually have something on your end, on the other end of the world, on the other side of the world, and you can now make that really good cherry pie that you couldn't do before because you have something. That something that you have is not physical, it's not energy, it's information. Information is a non-material substance, mm -hmm. right? So materialism by laws know, of logic, laws mm -hmm. of observation mm -hmm. of the human race, right? There is something more to the world than just matter and energy, period. Mm -hmm. you, you know, even communication, right? It's the whole thing. Yeah, you give so much, so many good uh, pieces of information. I do, I want to study more about the genetic stuff you were yeah. uh, mentioning, because that seemed like the most compelling argument I've heard right. um, from the science end of it. Um, and so I, I, I want to do more studying on that. But say th there's people listening or say people sitting here that we have a lot of information. How would you encourage people to, I know we talked about evangelism and being a little more intentional, but I, I think there's, there are certain people that fall into the category of God has called them to, to debate, be in front of people, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and talk about things. And I know you've had experience with mm -hmm. that. And then there's, I believe God has called people to not do that and, and have relational apologetical evangelism yes. and talk to people that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, how would you encourage people to discern those things and get involved? Mostly by what you're interested in, right? What your gifts are and what you're interested in. Um, for me, I just love doing research, right? If 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 I hear about something and that's, oh, I think that's cool, I want to learn all about it. Mm -hmm. And so I will just start learning about it. And the more I can learn about it, the more I love it, mm -hmm. right? So So I like to do research. I probably, you know... If I could have lived my life over, I wouldn't have said, oh, I'll be a nurse. I would have said, oh, I'll be a scientist. But I didn't know this about myself at the time. Um, so whatever you love, whatever you feel like you're good at, um, diversify into that. There are all kinds of ways to minister, to evangelize, um, and all of those are important. I mean, you know, there are people, people come to the Lord in all different sorts of ways. That's that's kind of why I was mentioning about that that Russian woman, mm -hmm. you know, in very unusual ways, through a loving kind act. You know, I, I remember hearing about a woman who was um driving up to a, a drive through um and she was with her son and they were out of money and this was the last ten dollars that she had. And 
they were going to get a meal, and then that was it. She had no idea what was going to happen to her and her son. And she drove up to the window, and the lady said, you know, here's your food. And she said, I didn't pay for it. And she goes, yeah, the car in front of you, they paid for it, and they asked me to give you this card. Mm. And it was a a church a church card inviting her to this church and she went to the church and got saved wow right because and she just literally she burst into tears mm-hmm. right she burst into tears that someone that it it made her realize that not only did someone care about her but there was a god who cared about her mm-hmm that knew her struggles, right? So it can be anything, right? Mm. An act of kindness, a simple paying $10 for somebody else's meal Mm. can bring someone to the Lord. So, you know, you don't have to, you know, I don't have a PhD. I would love to have a PhD, but you don't have to have a PhD. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm kind of in the middle between the PhDs and I read their work and I try to filter it down so that as many people can understand what they're talking about, as possible, and then there there are other niches for other people, mm. right? I've had I've had students that I was training in apologetics that um, simply said, "Look, I'm not at that level, right? I can barely read, mm. right? I, I can't understand your arguments, and so I just tell them, then just live like Christ, right? Love people and tell them the gospel, and that's mm. all that mm. you need to do." Do what you're good at. And, you know, so we'll all be into our little niches. We'll all be, you know, people who are really good with emotions and and dealing with other people's problems. We'll be able to lead to people to the Lord that way. Other people who, you know, are scientists will be able to discover new things that will lead people to the Lord. Mm. You know, other people will be like C.S. Lewis. Some people write books. Some people, I think we're going to be surprised as to who actually did great work on earth. There's, I don't know if you've heard the story of a guy in Sydney, Sydney, Australia, who passed out tracks. And he passed out tracks, I think for something like 40 years. Was this, and, was this Ray Comfort? No. Oh, he's from Sydney, right? Oh, is he? I don't know. I, I thought so. Oh, I don't know. Um, but they, we know about him because there was a pastor's conference um, somewhere in the South Pacific, Australia, maybe New Zealand. And um, a couple of guys were talking about how they got saved. They said, you know, I was on a Navy ship and I was in Sydney and this guy gave me a tract and that's how I got saved. And the other pastor says, are you kidding me? <laughs> I was in Sydney like 10 years later and a guy ran into me, gave me a tract. Right, and then so they they told their story to this conference of pastors mm. that hey we met and we were, and it turned out that several other people who were pastors had been saved by they also had been in Sydney, mm. so so this one person just with a simple and and he didn't do it a lot right he did it like every Saturday and he would pass out like ten tracks and that was it he was done. But he did it for like 40 years. And think of all those pastors and how many people they had led to the Lord, Mm. all because of what this one man did. Mm. So 
you know, we have no we have no idea what little we do. And also, if you're doing great things, right? God may have you write 10 books, you know, like spend your whole life writing 10 books just to reach one person because he needs he wants that person saved because that person's going to be the next Billy Graham mm. and is going or is going to be the next John Wesley and be, lead right. a revival across the world right and that's the only person that you ever save okay that's pretty good yeah. right so you know don't worry about if you feel like well I'm not doing enough I'm not studying enough and you know I should go get a master's degree or mm. or I should become a pastor like you know, let the Lord lead you and do what you love and do what you feel, you know, God has gifted you for. And that's enough, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's enough. Be busy about your father's business. business, but that means paying attention to what's happening around you. It doesn't mean making grandiose plans for the future and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, right? Because you're only going to do that if the Lord wants you to, mm-hmm. right? So just follow his step. What is the next step? Corey Ten Boom tells a great story about how her father taught her this lesson. She was, she asked about, you know, what are we going to do and how, how can we survive and what will happen next? And he said, Corey, when we are going on a trip and I have bought the train tickets when do I give you the train ticket to get on the train? Do I give it to you the week before when I bought it and I have it in my hand? She goes, no, Papa. You give it to me right before we get on board the train. He says, yeah, that's what God does. God gives you the ability, the thing you need to get the very next step when you need it. So just be aware of that. Just be alert for that. Right? What is happening? Who's the person I'm talking to now? Mm-hmm. What does he need? Can I give him that? Am I here because God knows that I have something he needs? Maybe it's because you know I need to tell him about genetics, but maybe not. Maybe it's just because this guy needs a friend. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's what I think mm. people should do. They should, they should, um, um, you know, just be aware of themselves, be aware of their surroundings, and. Just, you know, be open to what God's leading to them right now, today, to do. That's great advice. Yeah, so. that's, that's awesome. We, we were just reading through in our, I lead the 20-something Revive Young Adult Ministry, whatever you want to call it. It's a Bible study. And we were going through Second Peter, and one of the things that stuck out when I was studying the last chapter, chapter 3, was you want to be busy about the Father's work and you want to let everything else dissolve outside of holding true to the to, to doctrine that God has given us and spreading that. Mm-hmm. And the, like the, the word that really spoke to me was like dissolve, like letting things go. So you're saying like find your passion mm-hmm. and then let go of other things that aren't your passion. Right. All right? And kind of making right. that the way, sorry, God gives you a passion. Okay, now let all the busy work go away. Right. And right. I, I, that's been pretty powerful for me. It's like, okay, you find that one thing, hold on to that. You're probably not going to be very good at those other things anyway. Yeah. Right. Right? Somebody That's else is going to be better, is. right? Yeah. Like, like I would love to write a book, right? But you know what? Every time I think of a book, I look and say, you know what? That that's already been written and that guy did a better job, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. He did a better job than I would have done. So, you know, you just have to let those things go. And I think when we get to heaven, there are going to be all kinds of stories like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, God knows the master plan, 
And, you know, our job is just to do our job, not his job, our job. Yeah. Mm. That's wonderful. Amen. Whether you're a pawn or you're a rook or a knight, you know, we're on the chessboard and we have a master chess player, right? Nobody beats God. Mm. Nobody beats him. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows the future. And you you can't beat, you know, imagine playing a chess player who knows the future. Right. Mm. Right? Mm. Not going to win. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's going to win. So, so he wins in the end. Our job is if you're a pawn, be the best pawn you can be. If you're a knight, be the best knight you can be, mm. you know, do your job. And he'll use you. You know why? There's a verse in the Bible I think is very instructive. It's where God says, I will bring a man from afar off to do my will. Now, why? that The person that God was talking to should have been asking himself, why does God need to bring somebody from far away to do his will? Why... Don't I do as well? Mm. Right? Um, you know the the story of um, Esther, right? And Mordecai tells her, you were put here for such a time as this. Mm-hmm. And she asks him, what will happen if I don't do it? And he says, well, you'll be killed and God will raise up somebody else mm-hmm. to do what he wants done. Right? God's going to win, and he's going to win a certain way, and you can either be part of it or you'll be replaced, right? If God wants this person that you happen to be talking to, if he wants that person saved, and he's put you there, right? You have this opportunity. You can say, "Ah, you know what? It's too embarrassing. I I don't want to do this. God will have somebody else Mm -hmm. do it. But that person's getting saved. Do you want to get the credit for it? (laughs) Do you want, you know, the crown that God gives you for doing his will? Then do his will, Mm. right? Because otherwise you'll just be replaced. God God will get another pawn that's going to act like the pawn he wants the pawn to act like, Mm. right? So it's like, you know, it's like um, you're driving down the road and you see bars of gold on the side of the road. Um, nah, I don't want to stop, you know, I, I, I'm just going to drive down to the next, um, jug handle and I'll turn around and come back and I'll, I'll get it later. Mm-hmm. You, you think that gold's going to be there? <laughs> right. That gold isn't going to be there. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is going to take it and you won't get it. So, so more encouragement to yeah. do, God, do God's will. You know, he gives you those opportunities, so look for the opportunities and mm. and take them. And just take the opportunity of being a part of it. Yeah, awesome. just to be a part of it is yeah. the amazing thing, mm. right? Can you imagine, right? You don't have to be Billy Graham, mm. right? Imagine, well, so we were talking about Chuck Smith, right? And all that ministry that he started in Southern California mm. out of the Jesus Freaks, and right. he used to live in Southern California, lived there for 20 years. And uh, he started that whole thing. You know who brought him to the Lord? You know who brought Chuck Smith the Lord? Was it no? No, good. Wasn't it like a chil- children's? It's a name that you will learn in 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 heaven. Mm. His name was Lonnie Frisbee. Lonnie Frisbee was just a street witnesser mm. in mm, some ocean town in California. I can't remember. 
which one? He brought Chuck Smith to the Lord. He brought another famous pastor whose name I can't remember to the Lord. And then he died of AIDS. Hmm. Right? In the early 80s, is one of the first victims of AIDS. Um, because prior to becoming getting saved, he had been homosexual. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, Lonnie Frisbee is a name that will... I mean, think what he was, just a few people, he saved a couple of people, and look what they did. They changed the world, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, or at least had a great impact. So, um, yeah, it's amazing. You never, you know, just to be part of that. Okay, so he's not, Lonnie Frisbee isn't Chuck Smith, right? right? Well, I don't know. That's pretty good. Yeah. You led Chuck Smith to the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's pretty dang good. Right. Right? Yeah. Even, even like, biblical greats, like, mm-hmm. do you think they would have even known, like, just... People sent around the Mediterranean, Paul, Silas, Barnabas, you know, we're sitting here today having a podcast because they, you know. About fishermen. Right. Yeah. 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 There you go. Yeah. And then, like, uh, I watched the episode seven or eight of the the chosen last night and, and the one part that like really season hit one. me. Yeah. Season one. That's, Still, that's right, that's cute. <laughs> um, and uh, have you seen the show yet? Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah. I haven't I seen know, the but, latest one. So mm-hmm. I haven't, I'm only on episode seven or eight, but the, okay. uh, the scene where like it got, I get choked up like once an episode. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's I, pretty dang good. It, right? it is. And I'm not saying it's perfect, uh, but right. um, I just get, I'm going to get emotional easy when I'm watching this stuff. But like the, the scene where they have Nicodemus crying yeah. when they're all, he tells Nicodemus, we're going to depart from this, the mm-hmm. place at this time. And he, he, he's like so conflicted about, does he leave? Because right before that, his wife says, "Like I love our life. Please don't like, right. like make me lose it." Mm-hmm. And so he has to choose between, you know, you know, Jesus and following him well and and entering into his will or staying with his family and the Pharisees and, and the Pharisees and the Pharisaical order. And like that scene of him just like sitting there like crying as a wall. It's like, oh, um, and that's kind of the same. I don't know. It's what we're talking about. It's like, right. do, do you want to be in, in the will or not? Because it's an opportunity. And right. everybody else that was walking with us being a lot happier than a dude crying against a wall, you know? Right. So, and that's the difference between Peter, who's going, his wife is super happy that mm-hmm. he's leaving. And, you know, Jesus appreciating and lauding her for that. And I don't know. That, that's what I was thinking of when you were talking. Mm-hmm. An idea of entering into the will when you can. Yeah. And even even like the reference of Moses when he didn't want to speak. Because yeah. he, he, he had the lisp or he had mm-hmm. a speech right. impediment. And God's like, all right, well, I'm going to bring someone else, but you're going to lose some responsibility. Yeah. Someone's going to speak for you. That's exactly right. Yeah. Because God would have used him, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. if he had just been willing, mm-hmm. right, and trusting that God knew what the heck he was talking about, right? Oh, God, you're crazy. I can't speak well. I stutter or whatever, mm-hmm. right? No. Yeah. So, well, trust trust and obey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I learned so much. No yeah. Um, it was a... Uh, Great episode. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to learn a lot because I learned a lot about yeah. the scientific end of it. So um, stuff that I would definitely not be able to bring in conversation mm-hmm. if we were Me to either. talk. So yeah. that's awesome. Um, any last um, like areas of study, like uh, books to recommend? I know you recommended Frank yeah. Turek's. So you guys are already on the right track. I mean, you've got yeah. the best books. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything on the resurrection by Gary Habermas, yeah. he's written a lot on yeah. that, you know, like a dozen books already. Mm-hmm. So, so anything by him. Uh, on that. Um, Genetic Entropy, if you're interested in that. Um, I don't know of a really good book, and I wish there was. Well, maybe that's the book I should write. There you go. There it is. is, uh, Started here. The book on the rapid plate tectonics. Um, So uh, somebody should write one. And maybe there is one, and I just don't know about it. Mm. That's possible. So um, 
and mere Christianity, I, I, that's always my go-to. Anybody who I learn is a new Christian, mm. you know, um, or is even contemplating Christianity, mere Christianity. That's how I got saved. I love it, but it's it's proved itself, right? It's it's sold millions of copies, mm-hmm. right? And uh, you know, C.S. Lewis's grandson is you know sitting in a you know, magnificent mansion in Malta, you know, because in Malta, of, really? in Malta he lives in Malta <sighs> because of there. all of the money that comes from the royalties from C.S. Lewis's <laughs> stuff. Jeez. You know, so, you know, it's yeah. good stuff. That's a, it's a cool spot to live. Yeah, I think so. Right, right in the middle of the Mediterranean. Right the middle, yeah. Yeah. I bought one of his coffee tables at this point. I bought a few C.S. Lewis books. Oh, okay. no, I'm saying <laughs> I paid for one of his. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> the royalties. That's good. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And he's probably got his feet I'm up on it I'm right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all stressed. <laughs> coffee. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. I appreciate it. No problem. We sincerely thank you for listening to this week's episode of Encounter. On this podcast, our goal is to encounter Christ, culture, and each other and specifically in the each other part, in our real conversations that sometimes span two to three hours, you may hear an opinion that you disagree with. First, please know that scripture is our ultimate authority and that the word of God is the ultimate test of objective truth. Second, know that we are all part of the body of Christ and we are constantly learning and growing as well and would love to hear from you if you think differently on a topic. You can do so by DMing us on Instagram. If you have been blessed by this podcast at all, please subscribe, like, and share it.